0: You're listening to Between Two Bridges, a business-to-business podcast. With your hosts, Anthony R. Destiny, Joe Ferrani, and Jerry Kenna, interviewing entrepreneurs, business operators, and investors. This episode of Between Two Bridges is sponsored by Paymark Payroll. Payday is the most important day to your most important people. And payday is made easy at www.payyourpeople.com.
1: with another episode of Between Two Bridges. I'm your co-host Anthony Ardese on a small uh, contracting LLC.
2: To my left. Joe Franny, uh, owner of a dry cleaners, laundry, and uh, manufacturing. And on my left. Jerry Kenna,
3: owner of Landmark Business Solutions, accounting firm. And the
4: man of the hour. Cameron uh, the owner of Horizon Homes Pittsburgh, Realty One Group Horizon owner of Plum Creek Realty uh, and Horizon Wash
1: I was trying to think uh, I think this is my first time meeting you but your name came on my radar. Uh, You sold my godfather's house out and uh, he he lives off of 380 Um, but he had a bunch of woods I used to go out and hunt there and then he told me he was selling and I was like well who's selling your house and he's like this young guy Cameron. I was like why did you, you know, why didn't you go with a normal? Con- He's like, this guy got it. And uh, his name's Mike Wetmore. He owns a oh, yeah. router, router up yeah. in, uh, it's very cool. So that's how you came on onto my radar. But as we were sitting down trying to, uh, look for the best of the best, not to pump you up a little bit, but, um, just judging your social media and, and what you got going on and just the rapid growth that you've been able to kind of pull off, or just interested in kind of how you did that and uh the nuts and bolts of it all and things like that but i guess to start off you know starting at the beginning what what was uh i know you look up to your grandfather so what did he do for a living
4: so he uh my grandfather actually he owned a landscaping company and um you know he had owned Um, One of, you know, at the time in the, you know, into the 80s, 90s, and into even the early 2000s, um, you know, they had owned one of the largest garden centers in the, you know, Western PA. They were importing, you know, some, a bunch of, you know, different things from Japan and stuff like that. Prior to, you know, at one time you couldn't go to, you know, your your neighborhood supermarket and get Japanese maples and, and things like that um they were you know essentially a distributor for them at that point um and they were doing a lot of that stuff along with uh you know pottery and all kinds of different stuff that was you know unique items from from out of the country um you know and that was what they were known for they had people come in from all around you know they had you know lines up and down the street i mean to the point of needing you know police directing of traffic and everything else to you know get people in and out of the you know the building of course just like anything else if you don't adapt with it you know of course he was ready for retirement so he did not right so you know and of course eventually you know they ended up closing the business um you know of course that's you know much different approach and much different uh you know much different how do i want to say it's much much different environment than the business that i have you know chosen to be in um you know but of course my whole childhood he had always told me you know don't don't get into this he was like you know you're it's the wrong it's the wrong generation don't get into <laughs> yeah. this like you know which he was right um you know because you see how things have adapted and changed and stuff like that it's a very saturated industry at this point you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing so you know he certainly wasn't wrong yeah
2: what was the name of his business
4: uh, it was stoward landscaping and stoward garden center was the you know, name of it and, you know like i said the, the japanese types of gardens and things like that was there you know that was their forte They're special yeah. um, you know he designed all of it he laid them all out he did all the architectural drawings for you know all of those you know plannings and stuff like that you it's know it's probably so. pretty
2: cool you can probably go back and look at like some of his jobs are still there People absolutely yeah i mean That's
4: you can you can point cool. out pretty easily one of the houses that he had done and you know there's a lot of them around the you know the murray'sville area fox chapel oakmont um, you know a lot of the you know higher-end communities was kind of where you know he did most of his work very cool
1: about your parents, are they in that family business too? Um,
4: yeah, so my mother still does work as a landscaper full time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and she is still in that business, you know, she still is under Stalwart Landscaping. Um, you know, the only part that I had shut down was the garden center side, the landscaping side is still open, um, you know, because of course it's, you know, you can go to any place, like I said, and get plants, but of course, getting somebody that actually knows how to plant them and maintain them properly is a much different, much different thing you know so you know as far as that goes you know she is still in that business my dad is actually he is a contractor he does not work for me or you know really work on my projects or anything like that but you know he works in the union you know so every once in a while he might do something here or that on a weekend or whatever you know every couple months or whatever but you know so but yeah the majority of my family isn't isn't in you know most of them are you know Blue collar workers, things like that, not necessarily,
2: you know, business owners. Well, Jerry can kind of speak to this, and I'll speak to it too. It's probably better sometimes to keep your family away from your business. <laughs> um, we've both been in it with our families in one point or another, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it could be real, real bad. That is for sure. <laughs> So that brings us to you you the oldest youngest
4: you have siblings I have a half brother okay and uh, you know I mean we didn't grow up together you know whether that's fortunately or unfortunate right I mean you know, we have a good relationship and stuff but he lives about an hour away mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, so you know we grew up in two totally different households two totally different lives you mm-hmm. know what I mean all that kind of stuff um, you know like I said we certainly get along and stuff but don't uh, don't see each other too often. Yeah So your
1: Pittsburgh guy what was uh, high school like? were you into school was it in the sports and uh
4: yeah i mean i i guess you could say i was a little different in that aspect um you know so i did cyber school pretty much through all my years up through you know i went to i think maybe kindergarten that was about it Mm -hmm. um and then you know did cyber school from there out um i got into racing off-road professionally whenever i was about 12 years old and just kind of kept going with it from there. So I raced professionally for about seven years between um, quads and side-by-sides. You know, was traveling all over the country and stuff like that. A lot of regional racing and, you know, local stuff like that, um, you know. So, which doing cyber school gave me the ability to do all of that. Plus, I was working full-time by the time I was 16.
1: What were you we doing at 16?
4: Um, so I was doing an array of things. Um, I was, you know, at 16, I got a job doing... Uh, you know off-road parts sales and things like that um you know and worked my way into a management position within you know pretty much a few short months um and in the interim of that i was also building tracks for you know off-road racing and stuff like that on the weekends on the side as well um you know eventually i ended up just kind of taking a break from the sales side of the things and doing just the tracks for a while um you know as i was building into my real estate career because I got my real estate license at 18.
1: You just knew you wanted to do that right off the bat or was there Um, any debate or other interests there?
4: So, you know, I wouldn't say there was ever a point where I was like a teenager or anything like that, that I was just like, I want to be a real estate agent, right? Like, you know, I don't know if that was necessarily where I thought I was going to be. I had a lot of friends that were going into like oil and gas and stuff like that. So honestly, I kind of was considering that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, then I once I started, you know, learning more about real estate and everything else, which when I was about seventeen, I started kind of you know leaning in that direction, right? You know, because I I liked sales, I liked dealing with people and, and things like that. Um, but as far as like the the power sports industry went, you know, I I didn't like the the ceiling of income I had. I didn't like the you know the very non flexible hours, but for sure, um, you know, because it was like. Not that I have any problem with working by any means, right? But the you know the the hours are anything less than ideal. um, Between you know it's 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 retail hours, right? So it's working when you could be racing, right? Right. So and and not even just that, right? I mean, you didn't have any time to really have a life, right? Because I mean, you you know you would you would start work at like ten o'clock and then you'd work till maybe seven or eight, right? So it's like you didn't have enough time to do anything before work really that was worthwhile anyway, and you didn't have enough time to do anything after either. So. You know, I mean, it wasn't like it was a bad job. It just, you know, it wasn't my forever. You know, it's not I mean,
3: what it you want to do for the rest of your life. No, right. no,
4: it wasn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. It was a step. It was a great stepping stone. I learned a lot. I met, you know, a lot of fantastic people that helped me get to where I am today. Um, you know, between you know business owners and and things like that, and you know people that taught me a lot about business. You know, and I learned a lot. You know, the hard way too, right? You know, with just dealing with it between management and just you know working through it and stuff like that as well.
2: Now, just to time stamp it, when did you turn 18?
4: So I turned 18 seven years ago. Now. Okay. I'm 25 now. Yeah.
2: You never know somebody's age, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just, they yeah. never turn so 18. That, I guess that ago.
3: goes to my question. I don't know. Maybe we're fast-forwarding a little bit. But not too many 25-year-olds have accomplished what you've accomplished. So how... How did you get from eighteen getting a real estate license to seven years later a, you have and i don't know i'm gonna jump in am jumping <laughs> the gun. get to the point I'm getting to the point you've got three brokerages that's correct yeah you have a company that you flip how many houses a year? How many houses did you flip last year
4: <clears throat> last year I would say we probably flipped. I'd have to look, to be quite honest with you, but I want to say that we're right around maybe like 17, 18, something okay. like that. The
3: 17, 18 houses that you flipped last year. You have several rental properties. Um, just opened up a, a laundromat dog wash. When most kids, most, sorry, that was insulting. Most 25-year-olds are still partying and goofing around how did you get there
4: so i think the biggest thing is is i mean you kind of have to if you want if you want to be successful and and you want to be able to do big things right like i mean you you have to block that stuff out i mean you know whether it's good or bad i mean you know like maybe i don't know i mean i never enjoyed that kind of stuff so like the person who does like might look back on that stuff with resent right but you know for me like i I I'm sitting here with, you know, nice aquafina water while there's certainly alcohol around me, right? Like, I'm not a I'm not a drinker, you know what I mean? It's not my thing. Um, you know, didn't ever do anything, you know, even go as far as to try drugs or anything along those lines, you know? So, um, you know, I think it just kind of comes down to what your goals are, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, partying and, and having a good time and stuff like that. No, you're wrong. I like to have a good time, right? I like to go out and do things and, and enjoy my life. But, you know, I'm very, uh, you know, I I certainly don't need alcohol or anything like that to to have a good time, right? You know, so to each their own on that. Um, But as a kid, um, you know, whenever, pretty much from the time I was, you know, 18 and and on, I mean, I was doing whatever it took to get me where I needed to be. Um, You know, I would work whatever hours I had to work. I would do whatever I had to do um, ultimately what led to my success of where I'm at now is my real estate sales career. Um, because, you know, without the commission that I made from, you know, all of the sales I've done and everything else, um, I wouldn't be able to get where I'm at now. Um, you know, because that's where all my, you know, all my funding came from to start everything up I mean I didn't get any loans I didn't get any SBAs or you know you know this or that or
3: so we can clear something up right now because I'm sure a lot of people I'm gonna hit it's a tough question I'm gonna question hit it on. I'm gonna hit you with it because I'm sure a lot of people look at your social media page and see the Lamborghini and see the success and go his parents have money <laughs> did you grow up with money
4: no i did not um i mean i certainly like you know don't get me wrong like i grew up in a single parent household right like i mean my mom did well for herself right but uh you know as a normal you know nine to five job yeah so no family
3: member
2: bankrolled your
4: success no
3: just to clear that up for everybody i mean so you're good with
2: numbers jerry i'm gonna ask you a question um you think that I didn't drink and party from the time I was twenty five to thirty nine, I think I could buy two Lamborghinis. Yeah. <laughs> I think you probably could. Um Yeah,
3: but you know, everybody you hear that kind of stuff all the time and and part of the reason, you know, I you may know this. Some people know I did this I did a podcast somewhere to this years ago and called it the real entrepreneurship podcast because I was tired of seeing people posting on Facebook this extravagant life and pretending like they have all the success and then I'd they'd come in and I'd do their taxes and I'm like, bro <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um so I there are a lot of those people out there. And so then I think and you end up with most people see the success at 25 and then just assume they put two and two together and they get their own answer to that question. So uh, that's why I want to clear that up that I, you know, I know cause I've seen it and I've done, I've been working with you for what, three, four years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, I mean, he's got, I mean, his parents had money, right? Something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And I, you know, and, and I've also had people that have Assumed that it was a rented Lamborghini, or that uh, the success wasn't real. It was all just fiction on Facebook. And uh, I don't share people's financial stories, but yeah. I have shared with. well, there's a lot of people on Facebook and on like these real estate groups that are full of shit. Cameron's
4: not one of them. Um, I have a tax account and reference check on the on the podcast day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
3: So I mean.
2: Timestamp that. Uh, yeah.
3: So when he needs it, he can just pull it
5: out. Can't go anywhere
3: now. Uh, <laughs> no, but there's a lot of that bullshit on, on social media. And uh, that was something that when we started this, I thought, I'm going to ask him. Because I, we've never really talked about your history. Right. I don't know about your family. I knew that you lived in a, you grew up in a one, one-parent household and that your mom raised you. But, um, you know, I didn't know whether or not you started with anything. I assumed not because I see what you do so you know
4: yeah i mean you know i mean i grew up you know i grew up in a household right that you know you certainly weren't gonna you know when i was 13 years old or 14 years old sure if i wanted to go out with my friends or this or that like of course my mom was going to give me a, a 20 dollar bill to go get some food with sure, or this yeah. or that right like i mean i didn't grow up deprived by any means like, i Absolutely. had an awesome childhood and my mother did everything for me as she could you know what i mean and i'm very grateful for that and she certainly had a big part on yeah you know, my success yes because she was a very good role model but know, nobody
3: put a million dollars like, in her bank no,
4: account and said no, cam get started I, I i wish i'd be a lot <laughs> further ahead and i would yeah. i would hold give that headstone mind with pride because you know i'd be okay with that but unfortunately that was not that was not the case for me i did have to work for it and you know but you learn a lot without a doubt from working for it um you know and i think it does come down to you know that the truth is is you know like you hear a lot of people you know do say like you know oh well you it must be nice or this or that right like you know yes sure you know social media can make things look great right but like you know they're not there for the sleepless nights they're not there for the the stress they're not there for the you know you know yes i may have you know more success than some 25 year olds sure but you know i can assure you that they probably have a lot less gray hairs than i do um you know so i mean it just kind of you know but you you know you pick your way you know what i mean and it's you know for some some people you know their their time of you know Growth and that isn't at 25, it's at 35, or it's at you know, this point or that point. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong to it, it's just no, you know, no, but people don't jump jump to conclusions whenever you're 25.
3: And you know, I've, I've, I mean, I'm 39 and I still have people that I feel like underestimate me, and I can't imagine, I mean, you know, to a point. I don't know. I go back and forth about the whole underestimating thing. I have clients that love to be underestimated. underestimated, And I, mm-hmm. they love when they make a big move and people go, how do you do that? Um, love it. And I get that. And I kind of like that too. But at the same time, whenever you're not treated, you go into a deal and they treat you like you're just some dumb
4: kid. Man, mm-hmm. is that frustrating. Yeah, which is definitely, you know, it's something that I dealt with for a long time, you know what I mean? And I don't necessarily have that too much anymore, you know what I mean? I think it, you know, just because we're, the impact we're going for is very small community, stuff like that. I mean, a lot of the people kind of know and and see it at this point of what we're doing and that we're, you know, capable of achieving it. Um, You know, but you know but don't get me wrong there's certainly not a day that goes by that if you know if i'm going out and i take my car out and i'm around a crowd of people or this or that you know and they start asking you like oh what do you do or this or that you know and it's like oh like did your did your parents start that company or this or that you know it's like you know, it's laughable yeah. to me i, mean, I well, certainly don't get offended you know what i mean but it's just you know people don't you know expect that somebody at 25 is going to have that kind of stuff i guess right. you know nonetheless yeah People see it as, you know, you drive around and you show houses and, you know, that's all you do, right? Like, it's, it's – it's, there's parts of it that is easy and, you know, I certainly wouldn't trade it for anything else, right? Because, like, I do genuinely like what I do and I love it. But, you know, it is not easy to succeed in. It's not even necessarily that it's not, you know, like if you, you know, anything is pretty much as hard as you make it, right? So I don't want to sit here and say like, oh, the job is hard because that's, you know, it's like I said, it's as hard as you make it. But what is hard is getting the clientele, getting those deals to closing, you know, and all of that kind of, you know, and all the things that, you know, the hurdles and, you know, unexpected things that come up in between, right? And that's where it becomes from, you know, an agent that's well trained to an agent that, you know, just got in the business that, you know, at least has support as you know whenever you get into those type of situations you know you need to know what you're doing everybody starts somewhere right but you know you got to have guidance and support you know and there was some brokerages that had made me offers and things like that you know as i was you know coming into you know looking to grow into a team instead of just being an individual agent at that point i had solid production and i was doing a decent amount of deals um i was you know featured on you know a panel and things like that for the company I had worked for at the time for you know basically you know lead generation and and, you know converting leads and all that kind of stuff because I was one of the largest lead producing agents in the company Um, and then you know I had you know I I honestly had thought I kind of figured out where I was going to go and um, you know at that point was when I was Approached with, you know, it, it was really just a simple conversation um, with somebody that was just like, you know, just kind of threw it at me, just kind of like, the, well, why don't you just open your own brokerage, right? And it was kind of like, when I was 20 years old, right? It was kind of like, hmm, you know, sounds like a great idea and all, but like, I don't know about that. And it's like, you know, days kind of just kept going by and going by, and it's like, just kept kind of thinking about it more, thinking about it more, you know, and it's like, well, no, Maybe I should, you know, and then, you know, maybe I should at least look into it, right? It's kind of where it went. So I would say it happened by accident. Um, You know, I did look into it. And then next thing you know, I'm in California and I'm going through franchise training and all that kind of stuff and learning how to, you know, operate as an owner and and all that fun stuff. Um, So I went through all that, came back to Pittsburgh with the outset of, you know, hey, now it's time to find office space. Now it's time to do this. Now it's time to do that, you know, so... Um, you know, and of course, not long after I did, and found a space in Murraysville, which was our first office location, small little office, you know, fourteen hundred square feet, um, which is you know decent size, right? Yeah. But um, you know, we, we certainly outgrew it. Um, you know, we started out. I mean, you figure I started out as you know, I was fresh, I had no agents with me, right? Had one agent sign on with me, which at that time was you know Suzanne Spears. You know she's still one of our agents. You know how, no, how did that later. convo and, go? How
1: what's do you con- that? how do you convince close the first Susan. one? Yeah. <laughs> how do you-
4: Honestly, it's it's a relationship thing, right? Yeah. Like you have to build relationships with people, and that's how it follows, right? It wouldn't matter what kind of money you were going to give them. It wouldn't matter this or that. Like you know, if you want genuine people, mm-hmm. it comes down to relationships. Um, you know, and it was actually I had. Um, I had met her through a, a contractor that I was working with at the time and stuff like that, um, on a a flip that I was doing because I was mm-hmm. right when right started flipping houses as well and it was very first flip, just opening the brokerage like all of it was fresh, all of it was new, um, you know and she was getting a real estate license and uh, you know she was you know she she was attracted to the you know the new brand that we were bringing into the area and just you know what it had to offer and stuff like that. And sure enough, you know, we we went to it, right? You know, and she joined very quickly after we opened. Um, She pretty much directly became a very solid producing agent, um, you know, through us working together and, you know, getting her, you know, training and all that kind of stuff, you know, through me and everything else. Um, You know, she is actually now a mentor within my company and helps, uh, you know, new agents with, with development of training and, you know, and things like that. You know, she does very well with it um you know so that's you know that's kind of how the development went right and then it was like you know a couple months went by we brought on number two a couple more months went by now it was like three four five six you know kind of yeah. came into the play right and it was like after that then it was like every month Susan growing a little more. competition then. what's that yeah then <laughs> we then we start growing a little more and a little more and a little more and uh you know and then you figure it was probably like the two-year mark i think is when everything's really kind of you know, really kind of took off. Um, you know, because it was like it was long enough at that point that it's like, okay, they're here. They haven't, you know, they haven't fizzled out of business yet within the first couple months. You know what I mean, and stuff like that. Um, you know, so you know, you figure fast forward to today, we sit at you know 129 agents um, with three locations.
2: You know, so that that's way. the One reality Group. that That is a nationwide company, correct? It is, yeah. And, and yeah. that's Realty what you went to California nationwide. to learn, to bring here. Correct, yeah. So, so people at Caldwell Bank or Howard Hanna were probably like, they're never going to make it, right?
3: I think that world's changed a lot. I remember, I mean, years ago, I feel like if you didn't have a Howard Hanna sign in front of your house, it was like, well, poof, they're not Good working book. with Howard Hanna. You know, I feel like there's... I think that's kind of changed, and I think that these like smaller brokerages um, seem to be moving houses just as well, if not better, than Howard Hanna and Coldwell Banker and those kind of places that are taking huge portions of the commissions off of the sellers, and I think there's a lot of agents that are leaving those at brokerages for these, I don't know, boutique brokerages, these smaller brokerage firms. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off.
4: So... Here's basically the easiest way I'll put this, right? And like, and I admire every brokerage's way of running things and, and the way they do things and stuff like that, right? So, like, I would never talk down or, you know, or bash another brokerage or something along those lines, right? But, um, you know, and, and there's the right brokerage for everybody, right? Like, I mean, it would be a stretch for me to sit here and tell you that, like, my brokerage is the perfect place for every single agent in the business. You know, what I mean, like, sure, I would love to be the right brokerage for every single agent in the business, but that's not the case, right? You know, we attract the people that we want to keep. Um, you know, and that's, and you know, don't get me wrong. We do things a little bit differently, right? We don't hire every single agent and we are also, you know, we will fire agents in the situation where it is necessary. Um, a lot of brokerages, is just an open door. Pretty much anybody can join. There's no, you know, ands, ifs or buts about it. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, we want to uphold, you know, the best reputation in the business, um, with having the most professional, well-trained, you know, real estate professionals that you can have. Um, now with the, um, With that being said, you know, as far as the brokerage game in general, right, um, you know, just like any other industry in the world, right, like, it's always going to adapt, right, you know, so, like, things are always going to change. It is, you know, the, it's the, the blockbuster to Netflix effect, it's the, you know, the brick and mortar store to the Amazon effect, you know what I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't adapt and you don't change, you're going to get left in the past um you know and unfortunately for some right like I said, i'm not naming any companies this that the other you know they maybe have not adapted to what is popular in today's world of the real estate brokerage realm um and it's not just our company right like there is a lot of you know there there are other options you know what i mean that have come into play that are holding a more you know whether they're just more trendy or this or that or whatever it may be um in the business um, a big thing that does set our brokerage apart, of course, is just that it is 100% commission, so they just pay a small transaction fee per transaction, um, so they're not on a commission split, whether they're a brand new agent or an experienced agent. You know, We do have a structure for them that they're on that is still super favorable to the agent when they're part of the mentorship program because we charge a fee to them that goes directly to the mentor so that the mentors are, you know, enticed so and, game, you know, yeah. correct. Yeah, I mean, the mentors certainly have to have to make money for, for their efforts and stuff like that. And it's only, it's, it's a win-win on both sides, right? Because it's a motivational thing for them to, to be able to, you know, move forward with it. And, you know, most brokerages, even if they have a split, you're probably still going to pay for a mentor on top of the split, you know? So that's a very favorable setup for the agent. It's a very agent-focused company.
2: It's good. I mean,
3: agents make you money, right? Mm-hmm. So you were how old when you first opened up the brokerage? Twenty one.
4: So we signed when I was twenty, um, and I was twenty one. Yeah, whenever I whenever I opened, I think when I went to the first um, conference for the company, it was in Vegas, and it was like four days after I turned twenty one. So,
2: um, you ended up buying a Lamborghini. <laughs> nope, didn't buy a Lamborghini that fast. I think
4: I think I got my first. I got my first one when well, I was twenty two i think yellow one yes yeah bought a yellow one certainly wasn't anything fancy compared to what you know i have now or anything like that right i mean i always got something a little bit nicer each time i went up but i always bought them to make money on them i mean it wasn't like i just bought them like just to like sure i bought them to enjoy them right but like every single one of those i bought i was buying it at a price that i knew i could sell it and make more money and i did that three times in a row um you know i mean i was making you know Enough money to certainly make it worthwhile. On top of the fact of, I mean, even if I made no money and I just sold it again, right? I mean, I had the car for the free enjoyment then at that point, right? I mean, you know. Um, but no, I mean, it was a it was a profitable thing for me every single time. You That's know, what of course. Gary
2: cor- tells his wife when he buys Corvettes. <laughs> Amber, just so you know, now it's out there. But <laughs> well, you did make money on the last Corvette, right? I did. All right, you'll make money in the next one too. So it's not a lie. We'll see. It's just fun to take. Definitely steps. gonna enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you picked me up in your in your last one. Yeah. So it's a different experience being in those cars. Mm-hmm. Had an opportunity to drive like a super Porsche in New Orleans, and it's fun. Uh, I'm not a fast car guy because I'm not responsible. But that's <laughs> 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 fair enough. <laughs> yeah.
1: So seems like you're a pretty clear cut on on chasing your goals. What were those? At 16 17 18 years old was it the life you have now was it having this you know multifaceted income approach you have several certificate what's a military relocation professional what is that
4: so it's basically as a um you know as a real estate agent you have the opportunity and the option to take different courses and things along those lines that give you different certifications and designations within the business to um, further your education on those topics and you can get certifications for doing so um military relocation is you know Pretty much as it sounds, Um, you know, you go through a course and a process that, you know, better helps explain and, and, you know, give you guidance and, and, you know, tips on, you know, things that military families need as they are moving into a new location, right? Because a lot of people, whenever they're relocating as a military family, they're moving into areas that a lot of times are thousands of miles away from Mm -hmm. where they actually are from, right? So... Um, In that event, you know, there's certainly a little different process and procedure. We sell a lot to a lot of military families that may never see the home before they buy it. um, Other than, you know, just like FaceTime videos and stuff like that. Um, And that goes for just relocation in general, right? I mean, we do a lot of relocation. You know, I've had plenty of clients that, I mean, have bought some very, very expensive and nice homes or, you know, or not. um, That, uh, you know, they never got to set foot in until, you know either the day they closed on it, maybe not even until months after they closed on it, you know, just depending on their situation and where they were and stuff like that, you know, because if they're military relocation, a lot of times they're on a, you know, they're in a, on a base or somewhere else, you know, I mean, some of them are moving back from a tour or whatever it may be, and they might be coming from out of the country. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of sophistication that goes into that stuff. And also the most important thing as well is you know, being very fluent with, you know, the VA loan processes and procedures and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, they kind of give you a deep dive into all that stuff as well.
2: That's got to be a pretty good transaction. Most of the times they're probably here for a couple of years and then you're the, you're the guy they know. So then they hit your agent up and say, hey, you know, unfortunately we got to relocate again?
4: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of sales for, you know, military, first responders, um, you know, nurses, doctors, things like that. So that's, that's the majority of my clientele.
1: And then the goals growing up, was it was it this or?
4: Like I said, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily would say it was this. Um, I don't really know, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that it was like I knew where I was going with this stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'd say a lot of it, you know, I knew the life I wanted, how I was going to get there. I don't necessarily know if I knew that right off the bat. I wanted to have the freedom. I wanted to be able to, you know, once I once I got a, I guess you could say, a taste of just, you know, entrepreneurship and stuff like that, right? Like, I knew I was never going to go backwards. Like, yeah. as soon as I became a full-time real estate agent, at that point forward, I knew I would never work for somebody again.
2: So, as the only other guy in the textile industry to the table, I have to ask, you got all this going on, right? And you, you buy a laundromat? Mm-hmm. So what, what made you want to buy the laundromat? So
4: the laundromat was more of a, it was a community piece. Um, you know, so we have, you know, and, and this may be an entirely different topic, right? But like we have um, a lot of investment into one particular school district. So we have, you know, a bunch of real estate there. We're buying up all the bigger buildings. We're trying to, we're essentially turning that market um, you know, and it's through, you know, through rentals, through flips, through business, right? I mean, we just bought another building that we're going to be opening another, you know, hopefully an attraction that will actually, you know, so the laundromat to me is for, is for the community people, right? The people that live there, stuff like that. However, we do have, um, already a lot of our clientele has been coming from surrounding communities, right. um, whether because they said that, you know, they don't have a laundromat or the laundromat they do have has older equipment or it's dirty or whatever it may be. Right. So, um, the laundromat that we just opened is, you know, brand new, smart touchscreen units with, you know, brand new tile floors and a fully renovated space and stuff like that. And we have, you know, we have skill games, we have ATM, an ATM, we have a vending machine, we have, you know, nice bathrooms and, you know, and, but the biggest, most important thing is, right, is it's very clean. It's air conditioned. We have somebody that's there pretty much all the time, um, you know, kind of keeping an eye on things. We do wash and fold. Um, and we're opening a dog wash in the back as well, which a lot of people really like because there's not one, you know, really in that community, um, that's of easy use for self-serve. You know, they have some ones that have schedules and things so like yeah, that, that, are a little an town. that. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a, um, you know, make not TV shows
2: about people like you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, we're not there yet, but I'm oh, currently looking cool. at a building that has a laundromat in it. And one of the things that when you see the laundromats that are available, first of all, they ask for a high dollar number. They're expensive investments. Second of all, like most of them, the equipment is so outdated that it is literally like a daily chore to go unload the changers and, and that's one of the negatives I see is, like, in, in my life, do I really want to bite off this huge investment and and have this day-to-day grind of cleaning lint traps and, you know, counting quarters. And so it's just something that I'm trying to wrap my head about. But, like, with modernizing, we've talked about it. It has to be modern. You have to have it on the cards. And, you know, you, the people that own it now, they currently, like, have to go down at 6 o'clock and lock the door. And they have to go down at 7 o'clock every day and unlock the door. And I'm like, well, order number one is I'm not doing that. Like I'm not every. I mean, not that I'm opposed to working. Like we said earlier, it's just I'd like to be interested in seeing what you got going on up there. That's for sure. Yeah,
4: yeah, and you know, and I'm more than happy to give a tour of it anytime to check it out and stuff like that. You know, and and that and it's very true, right? Like I mean, you know, if there's if there was an issue on a machine or whatever it may be, right? Like I can pull up every single I can. I can see the machine on my phone as they are seeing it in person. I can see exactly what's reading on the screen. I can see exactly like everything, you know I mean? I can start it from here. I can stop it from here. I can I can move it to the next cycle from here. I can see exactly how much time's left on it, how much money's in it, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It'll send me a notification if there's an error on the machine, like if it needs service or whatever it may be, so that I'm not sitting around just hoping that somebody lets me know. Yeah. Um, you know, so our machines take, you know, they're, we're getting it all set up now because of course we just opened, but you know, we're finalizing out. So like all our machines will have an app. You'll be able to go onto the app and pay for your, for your washing, you know, your washing and drying through the app with a card, Venmo, Apple pay, Google pay, whatever you prefer, um, on top of still being able to use cash. Um, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, basically what you were explaining is the way I would describe that, right. It's like, you know, if you, if you have to do all that, you know, to have a laundry I mean, you didn't buy a business; you bought a job, right. right? You know, and I mean, do you want to? You know, that's not what you were trying to do. Um, if you're buying a business, um, you know. So, you know, yes, you certainly still have to be involved in any sort of business you have if you want to succeed and, and if you want to do it well, right? But you have to know where to delegate, where to, you know, spend your time and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not messing around with you know used equipment. And yeah. you know things like that, and that would be the the big concern in some aspect. With you know, with you know, if you have a you know, if you buy a you know, what they call a, a zombie mat, right, like a zombie laundromat, you know, which is you know considered to be a uh, a laundromat that is you know old and outdated and stuff like that, is that uh, you'd have a lot of that to deal with. We actually bought an old convenience store and turned it into it was closed down, Um, you know, and we turned it into a laundromat. So we had to start from nothing, right? We didn't have the slightest clue what we were getting ourselves <laughs> so into. We bought a building and you know, we're like, we're going to turn this thing into a laundromat. We've done all this other stuff. We'll figure out a laundromat. Right. And then come in they're like, what well, did you know? You're going to need a one inch, you know, a one inch gas line. You know, you're going to need an oversized water <laughs> line. You know, you're going to need this. You're going to need that. And you kind of just look at them like, mm. No, but we'll figure it out
2: (laughs) there's saw on your floor to put drain pits in and
4: yeah yeah which
2: i mean we we knew obviously
4: we're gonna need troughs and and things like that but there's certainly things you don't think about right i mean you know you don't necessarily like the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the fact that you need this massive service panel or this or that or you need to add sub panels behind this and that and you know and have you know these big you know access doors and you know access systems and stuff behind the units and you know, but there's you know so there's a lot that goes into it, and and you know you have, to have a lot more space for a laundromat than you realize because of how much space they take up. Like those big units take a lot of room, um, you know, and because of the access center and stuff you have to have, you know, you have to have about three feet behind those units to access them. So it yeah. really you know takes a lot more space than you
2: anticipate up front. Yeah, you'll be able to take the whole drum out mm-hmm. and do all that stuff behind the machine, yeah. yeah. And then, like, I'm looking at buildings. I've always looked at buildings to move my location. And like, first thing is, is a lot of places don't have three phase power, mm-hmm. and it's like it's a significant investment just to bring yes, a building three phase power. Yep. Yeah. So. And a lot of time. Time, because you have to depend on the permits. electric company permits. Yeah. Duquesne Light. Yep. So, I mean, Duquesne Light will be really happy to give you power, more power. Yeah, they'll do it for
3: free, <laughs> but, but it's but it's a lot of time. Townships, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of time because they've got to wire it in. They've got to especially if they don't have a close uh, I have a client that converted an old bowling alley into a manufacturing facility and it needed three-phase power and it the closest one was three-quarters of a mile away they had to run all new wire I mean it was a big deal and like I said uh, Duquesne Light is obligated to do it at no cost because they have to provide you the power and uh, like you said they'll be happy to do it because they're going to charge you for it uh, on the back end but it took a lot of time to get all the permits and get everything going and get get it done, so it takes a lot of
2: time. Do you do no quarters?
4: No, we do quarters, uh-uh. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: We have the change machines yeah. and the ATM and all that kind of stuff, so. But a lot yeah. of
2: people have better options. We, we certainly
4: encourage cash, right, but it's not, you know, it's not necessary. Yeah. We wanna make sure that, uh, you know, we're not turning away any customer,
3: you know encouraging cash to <laughs> save yourself in credit card fees of course f- mm. for the IRS that's listening mm. or,
2: <laughs> or like that. the credit card processor in the room that could get you a better rate <laughs> right for the customers of <laughs> landmark business solutions systems. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah obviously we're not hiding cash yeah, who sure being... would do that? No, who would ever do that's that? Kind of well, lie. I don't even touch cash anymore because it's very, very dirty. <laughs> and I am officially out of masks as of last quarter. <laughs> you just have the
4: one that's left on your face, right? That's yeah, like, just a beard. Yeah. It's a filtration yeah. system.
2: Yeah. Definitely not government approved.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and now a brief word from our sponsor
5: this episode of between two bridges is sponsored by paymark payroll are you tired of spending countless hours juggling payroll calculations tax filings and compliance regulations well say goodbye to that chore and let paymark payroll take the burden off your shoulders With our secure online portal, you can access your business information from any internet location, even your phone. Employees will love the ability to receive direct deposits and they can access all their pay stubs, tax forms and information through their own portal. Focus on growing your business while we take care of the rest. With top-notch customer support, we're always here to assist you with anything at any time. Don't let payroll stress hold you back. Choose Paymark Payroll and experience the freedom to thrive. Contact us at payyourpeople.com for a personalized consultation and a demonstration of our powerful payroll solutions and see how Paymark Payroll can better your workflow. That's payyourpeople.com. Join the growing list of satisfied businesses that have embraced the convenience and efficiency of Paymark. Payday made easy. Your business deserves nothing less than the best. And that's exactly what Paymark Payroll delivers. Now back to the show. The
3: housing market right now. Obviously, the rates are up. I know I get asked several times a week what I think was going to happen with the market, um, both the economy overall and the housing market. What? What say
4: you? It's weird. Um, it's honestly the best way I can put it. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's still very, it's still very focused. It's still very good. Um, but in the same sense, I mean, it's, you know, you, you have your challenges, right? Because I mean, you know, and I think the biggest challenges is is that the market was so competitive going up to where we are today that you had a lot of buyers that, you know, maybe they were approved for, you know, a $400,000 house right and now they are not approved for anywhere near that they never got to buy because they were continuously getting beat out on every single house that they were trying to put an offer in on because the four hundred thousand dollar house was going for 475 yeah kind of you know what i mean or whatever it may be uh, but it was going for way more money than what it was listed for you know what i mean so they couldn't afford it you know like if they were going to you know you know, who would have ever thought a day would come where they might have been going to you know on a house that was listed for four hundred thousand and they're offering four fifty and they're still losing, yeah. you know what I mean so and that was the real world that we've been in, um, you know and now, I mean you know a lot of those people wish they would have paid four seventy five because now their, their mortgage payment would still be cheaper, you know than what than what now it would be now yeah now their payment
3: is going to be the same on a two hundred eighty you know a house
4: that they're not happy with. Yeah. And that's the, that is the big problem, right? So that's why the market has changed as well. Is because you have a lot of people who are highly discouraged and have stopped looking. Um, the market is still, however, very, you know, it's still healthy. Things are still moving, but it's a little more, it's a little calmer, we'll put it that way. It's not as aggressive. There's still absolutely multiple offer situations all the time. But there's also houses sitting on the market too, right? Like you got to be on the money now. With the, with your price, you know what I mean. Like it's not like, eh. Let's just listen to this and just see what happens, right? You know, that's that is not going to work today. You know, you got to price it right. You know, you're not you're not pricing it at a very bullish number and just expecting that somebody's still going to at least bring you an offer because you know it might just sit.
1: How do you come up with that price? Is it just experience? Data. Yeah. It's all about the data.
4: It doesn't matter how many houses you sold. I mean, sure, it comes easier every single time, Mm -hmm. um, but you just need to be good at reading and, and, you know, and analyzing data. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, now don't get me wrong, there's a lot of houses where data does not help you, and that's where experience helps you. Because, um, you know, if you're selling a a three-bed, two-bath, brick, you know, brick two-story home, in a community that's full of three bed, two bath, brick story homes, right? Like you're probably gonna be able to find comparables and comps for it really easily, right? Mm -hmm. If you're selling a five bedroom ranch in a community that's all two story houses and everything else, right? Like your comparables are a lot harder to find. Mm -hmm. You still might be able to come up pretty close with a price, right? Just based upon the bedroom, bathroom, count square footage, et cetera. Um, But as far as in the eyes of an appraiser, right? Because in most cases, you're still not gonna be getting a cash buyer they are going to look at that not typically based upon two story homes. You know what I mean? It's so, like you need to be looking for that right property. And there are a lot of other you know, there's a lot of other tips and tricks, don't get me wrong, to to being on the money with pricing, you know, such as like, you know, making sure you're in the same subdivisions and if you can't be in the same subdivisions using other subdivisions that sell at comparable prices that are near it and, you know, lots of stuff. But there's automated numbers that kind of throw you out like ideas and it'll tell you like the score roughly of confidence of their numbers and stuff like that like but program or correct i mean it's a it's a good way for quick referencing yeah. you know what i mean but it certainly is not always accurate right you know just like any of the websites that show you like estimated price values stuff like that i mean you know, their accuracy is usually very far off
3: you mean as estimate's not the way to go
4: <laughs> well i wouldn't say as estimate directly but you know Websites. Yeah, put it well, I got over assessment.
2: Yeah. No font for my house. Yeah, yep. They were dead on. They were way low. We we sold high. Yeah, but the market was. How sweeping.
3: has the market, the way it is, changed your strategy?
4: I think it's you know it, it hasn't really changed my strategy much, right? Because like my strategy was still always going to be like price it right and it'll always go for more. Um, you know when I say that is. If you price, you know, if you price something super high, no matter what market you're in, it's still going to hurt you. You know what I mean? So, yes, it still may have sold a lot easier in a market that it was hotter, but the problem was that people were still going to shoot you down, right? Like they're still going to be looking for that deal. As to where, if you price it right, like you price a little bit below your, comp- you know, your competition, like you know, you're going to end up getting more most of the time than your competition because you know the multiple offers drove it up to where to where you wanted to be. Um, it was always a risk right there was no guarantee that that was going to happen but in a lot of cases it worked and it worked well um, you know so that's how about goes your approach
3: how about your personal business strategy though so you know you were for me last year you said I think you said you flipped 17 18 houses are you still flipping as aggressively have you changed your approach at all as far as your growth of your business
4: so the growth of that side of things i've I've come to pretty close to a halt on flipping um i'm still okay well i'm still flipping but i'm keeping them so you know we're redoing the properties from top to bottom new kitchens new bathrooms new floors new paint new you know windows whatever it needs a new roof i mean if it needs it it's getting it we're not gonna we're not gonna half-ass anything i mean it's gonna be um you know entirely you know redone to whatever extent that needs to be um you know and that's why you know people give flipping houses a bad name, right? Because, you know, they're coming in and just painting some walls and throwing, you know, some carpet over top of some old laminate floors or this or that or whatever Yeah, painting light switches and (laughs) and stuff like that. Like, no, we're replacing every single receptacle in that house. We're rewiring it if it needs it. We're putting in new service panels. If the furnace is even questionably old, it's getting a new one. If it's got a hot water tank, it's even questionably old, it's getting a new one. If the roof is like, you know, if it's got one lifting shingle on I'm ripping the whole thing off and we're starting over um you know it's not you know this stuff is it, and you know and that goes into the same thing of being a landlord right like if you don't like being a landlord and you think it's a pain in the butt there's a good chance that you know sure you might get bad tenants every once in a while but a lot of times it's their own fault you know for not doing the things that you know you need to do which is maintain your property the way i always look at a unit like with rentals and stuff like that is if i won't live in it myself i'm not going to rent it to somebody else um, you know, so the whole, like, you know, I can't stand whenever I go into somewhere and I'm, you know, in a, in a home improvement store or whatever. And I hear somebody say, like, oh, well, it's just for a rental. So, you know, this is the price I'm looking to spend. Like, no. What would you put in your house? Yeah. That's what needs to go in that rental. You know. Um, so that's that's a big piece of it. Um, But we started going for rentals. I wouldn't necessarily say that the market pushed me into rentals as it was more, you know, what pushed me into rentals, if you want my opinion, is just my goals, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not a bad time to flip houses still, but there's always a price that's right, and that's in any market, right? Like, you always have to look at buying right in every market. Like, when we were buying stuff at the peak, I was buying stuff at a price that if the market tanked and things went south, that I would still make money. You know, that was a very important thing to me. Now, we did a lot of flips, we had fun with it, you know what I mean, and, you know, me and my, my better half, which is Brianna, I mean, you know, we do it all together. I mean, every single bag, we work on it together, um, you know, and that was basically what it came down to, right, it was like we decided, well, you know, it was time for us to build rentals, right, and the reason why I wanted to do that is because flipping is fun, but it's a, it's a Ferris wheel. Right, like you keep going around and around and around. You you make more money. You just put more money back out, and you just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. Um, so you like you never really feel like you make money. You know, what I mean, like you, you get more houses, you get to do more things, but you don't really feel like you ever make money from it. Um, you know, if, if you do it on a growing level. Right? I mean, like if you keep expanding and expanding and expanding, you know, and it's the same thing with like a brokerage or whatever, right? Or, you know, whether I don't care if you own pizza shops, right? Like if you, every single time you start making some good money and you go open another one, the money's gone, right? Like yeah, the profit's gone. Like you made profit, but you never actually see it. So it doesn't feel like you're making money. Same thing with flipping houses. If you go from flipping one house to three to five to 10, you know, it's, you might even have less money than what you started with, but you just have more assets. Um, you know, like, sure, it's a good thing, right? But in yeah. the time, it can be a little discouraging because you're not feeling any reward from what you've done, right? You know, and of course, you know, um, and, and that kind of comes out to maybe, you know, a little bit of, you know, even with, you know, us talking about, you know, younger people and business ownership and stuff like that is, you know, it's no secret, right? I mean, everybody talks about the instant gratification thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. business ownership does not result in instant gratification because you're spending <laughs> and burning money, you know, for a long time before you're bringing any of it in in most cases right unless you just have some slam dunk idea or something like that like if you want to become rich really fast come up with something if you want to be you know if you want to be able to make money long term then
2: open a business Um, I think about that a lot in my own personal life I think like I'm just not making any money and then I gotta like slow down for the next five miles and realize how much money I spent right and I'm like oh Okay. You're, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Don't jump off the bridge today. Right. But you're for all fine. of us, it's, it's a yeah. hard
4: thing to see at times.
2: You know? And that's one of the reasons like we kind of started this whole concept was, is to like, so another business owner could hear these stories mm-hmm. and understand that like, okay, maybe they do have like a great idea and it's just not making money right now. Don't mm-hmm. abandon yourself. Keep pushing forward because not everybody just signed a brokerage, got in fancy car and went up on their way you know there's there's a lot that goes into this systems
4: yeah yeah I mean and there certainly is you know what I mean and I don't you know I certainly don't you know I don't pull up money out of my businesses barely ever you know what I mean from the brokerage side I pretty much never have um, and from the you know the flipping side I mean it's been a while right because like, I've been in grow phase for quite some time now you know what I mean so um, you know if I can you know, if I have money to comfortably make all of our bills all the time and everything else and, you know, be able to keep growing, like that's the goal. Um, You know, the money's not doing me any good sitting in an account, whether, you know, certainly it certainly helps your ego and makes you feel a lot better and a lot safer. Um, But, you know, money sitting in an account is wasted, is wasted opportunity. Um, You know, of course you got to have reserves, right? Two percent from PNC bank doesn't like get you excited. It doesn't. No, (laughs) no, no, not at all. Um, You know, so, That's, those are all big pieces of it. But, but fast forwarding back to the rental side of it, the reason why I got into the rental side of it is because that gives you the opportunity to jump off the Ferris wheel. Right? So like if, yes, I am going to continue to keep spending money and spending money and spending money as I keep buying more rentals. But if I stop flipping houses tomorrow and I say I'm done, right? Like the money stops, there's no more money coming in and I'm done. If I have rentals, right? So like if I have 50 doors and let's say even even on the low side, I'm making $250 per door, right? I mean, you know, you do the math, right? You know, if, if I'm profiting $250 per door um, on 50 doors, if I stop tomorrow, I have something to show for it, right? And on top of that little bit of money I'm making per month on each unit, I now have all of that, all of that real estate that's now building me equity just for owning it, right? So in 20 years, If I don't, you know, maybe I'm taking, you know, I'm funding my own capital improvements just from the money I'm making and stuff like that, and I never touch the mortgages, right? In 20 years, I could have 50, you know, 50 doors that are paid free and clear. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I have no debt on them, right, so now they're just straight cash flow. Sure, maybe I might update them again or whatever, but, you know, at that time, I have that decision to make. Um, Or, you know, there's the approach that a lot of people do, which is five to 10 years, they take the equity that they have built in those units and they use it as a refinance and they go and buy more. That's an approach that works for some. I don't know if that's necessarily what I want to do. I kind of think I like the idea of, you know, just having enough real estate that, um, you know, eventually to when it's free and clear that it's just a consistent, you know, it's guaranteed money all the time and just kind of continue that route. But, you know, that's how I feel today. Who knows about tomorrow, you know?
1: Yeah. So you even touch the equity on anything, you even had to.
4: Well, as far as I mean, I guess that's a trick question, you know, <laughs> because I mean, we're, of course, we're not, it's not like I'm able to go out and buy all these rentals and stuff in cash. I mean, I'm certain, yeah. you know, I, I wish I had that kind of money, but you know, that's not, you know, it's just not feasible yet, right? So, you know, we're buying a lot of it with private money and hard money and stuff like that. And then we refinance mm-hmm. and we're, you know, now we have a mortgage, at you know, that's 75% loan to value. So we're certainly not upside down on them or anything like that. Um, But, you know, we're refinancing a 75% LTV to lower the interest rate, get off of the private or the hard money and move that money into our next project. Um, However, with that, you know, so like what I'm getting at is you figure if I have a 75% LTV loan, that's a 20 year, you know, like pretty much almost investment loans are usually going to be 20 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So in 20 years, if I don't refinance again and pull out on that equity, now that property is paid free and clear. And I have that property sitting there. Or if I make extra payments, right, I could speed that process up even more. And maybe I get to the point to where it's like, you know, if you're doing well enough, it's like, start chipping in enough on those payments to where you're next thing you know, now you only have 15 years or 12 years or whatever. Um, You know, which is a, you know, that I look at it that way, because I chase financial freedom, right? Like, I don't necessarily, you know, like, sure, i I'm sure I wouldn't have an issue to own a hundred units or, you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, I certainly don't, you know, if I can make more money by having 50 that are free and clear and I don't have to worry about overhead and mortgages and everything else, like that's preferable to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Think about the people that had 50 properties coming into this increase in property. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys probably got flushed and just left. They're just, Financially free, just chilling. (laughs) Yep. We're just a little, I mean, you're a little younger than us, but we're all just, we're just like a little bit too young to understand that. But I know some guys that were like cabinet builders that had like five rental properties back in the day. (laughs) You know, it's like, dude made $36,000 a year and was buying properties for six, seven grand. He's turned 75. The housing market went crazy. He sold them. He's living in Naples, hanging out, you know? (laughs)
1: Uh, you talked about your better half. How, is that, how does that work dynamic go? Is she the boss? Or, like, is there rough days there?
0: I so, mean,
4: just like anything else, right? You're yeah. certainly going to have some disagreements and bumps in the road. But, I mean, it's, you know, overall, I mean, we, you know, we handle everything professionally. We try to keep it all kind of, you know, to some extent separate, right? You know what I mean? And, you know, we get along very well. Um, you know, we work together very well. Um, You know, there's certainly always going to be things you don't see eye to eye on, right? But, I mean, you know, we always come to an agreement on it, you know, and it's it's just simple business relationship, you know, as far as that kind of stuff goes. But we work very well together. Um, You know, she works in it every day just like I do, you know what I mean? Um, You know, so it's, uh, you know, she covers, you know, she's usually doing a lot of the, she's doing a lot of the flip side of things, you know I mean? Handling, making sure things go right, designing places, taking care of it all, Um, You know, as I'm, you know, doing a lot more with the brokerage growth side of things and stuff like that. I mean, we're both involved in both of them. Like, she helps a lot of the agents with things. I help with, you know, the contractors and things like that. And I think it's just kind of one of those things where it's like if something that she does well, then she's probably going to, you know, take care of that part. If it's something that I do well, then it's something I'm going to take care of, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, You know, and of course we have our staff, too, for the things that maybe we feel like we're both not at a strong point in. You know what I mean? That's where you hire.
2: Yeah. I think the other thing with, like, relationships like that is trust. Mm -hmm. you know like I remember when I first was gonna buy my business my my wife just trusted me she was like if you think it's the right move go ahead and do it and then we've done some things since then it's like she just trusts me and that's that's comforting so like when you get in that environment you trust each other you know push each other a little bit you know so that's cool that you guys get to do that on a daily basis and make it work
4: absolutely
1: you mentioned uh, financially being financially free is there uh, there, I guess a a deadline on that are you trying to retire at 40 or do you see yourself doing this forever or i don't know so do for me it's like ahead?
4: i mean retirement to me isn't necessarily a goal i don't know that i really have a thing that i'm like i ever really want to like retire mm-hmm. right it's really more about having the ability to do so for yeah. me like you know what i mean like whether you know i voluntarily want to retire or you know i mean of course you know we're all here on earth today with the thankfulness of staying healthy and, and, you know, voluntarily, you know? So, you know, it certainly would be nice to always have that position to where, you know, whether you don't want to do it anymore or you can't do it anymore, you know, that you're always going to have that, you know, you're at that point financially free enough to be able to, you know, to walk away from it if you had to.
3: All right. So you're 25, you've been flipping houses, you have brokerages, you're, You have rentals, you're deep into the real estate world. And I I know that there are a tremendous amount of people that want to get into the real estate world. Some of them will never make it. Sorry, Um, I've seen it where people think, I'm going to flip a house, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And man, is it harder than it looks? Um, It is not easy. But with that being said, what's your best advice for somebody that thinks, that they're going to buy rentals they're gonna buy some flips they're gonna they think they want to get into real estate and and the advice more for you know this is not advice for the guy that thinks this is get rich quick because it's not and we can just skip that part but for somebody that's actually going to put in the effort understands wants to learn is actually going to put forth what's your best
4: advice best advice is you know like you can't put yourself short in any aspect of the process, right? Like know your due diligence of what you're getting into. Go to like, you know, go to the networking groups, meet more people in it. Also don't trust everybody in that stuff. Take everything that you learn with a grain of salt because there's a lot of talkers and a lot less doers. Um, You know, make sure that, you know, and if you feel like you have enough money to to flip houses, you probably don't. Um, You know, you need to. So what I mean by that is like, don't go buy your first flip, in cash, right? Just cause you think you have enough money. I mean, unless you're sitting on millions of dollars, you should still use hard money. Um, because if you have a deal that goes south, you have an issue, whatever it may be, right? Like you want to have your money there as reserves you know, don't be, you know, don't get scared away over paying some high interest just to, you know, on your first flip, just because you're worried about that, right? Like I'd much rather pay somebody interest than to become over leveraged because I didn't have enough for my budget or whatever it may be, right? Like it's a lot easier to borrow money whenever you're, whenever you're good and everything's moving forward than it is whenever you're in a pickle. Um, you know, it's almost impossible at that point. Um, and that happens to a lot of people, you know, they they search for help a little too late. Um, you know, so, And and the truth of that comes down to is, right, I mean, like, a lot of the flips we've done, and, and, you know, I hate to say it, the flips that we've made the most money on, we have taken over flips from people who could not take it to the finish line. Whether they ran out of money or, you know, they decided it wasn't for them or whatever, um, that has been, you know, something that is reoccurring for what we do. And we'll even have lenders that will call us and ask them to take over, you know, a project that, you know, somebody had started and they couldn't finish. Other things I think would just be you know understand that you know you should you know you should be willing to get your hands dirty it's not like you know you're gonna go sit on your couch for your first couple flips and it's all just gonna come together right like you need to be there you need to be planning it you need to be doing the bids you should be demoing it yourself you should be you know doing some of the work yourself like as you learn through it right because you are gonna have a hard time judging how long things should take how much it should cost um, You know, putting that whole picture together—if you can't sit there and say you did it yourself—you know—so, um, you know, you need to be you need to be active in your business to be able to keep control of your business. It's pretty
1: good stuff. It's uh, it a pleasure to meet you, man. Inspiring yeah, inspiring. Meet stuff. you as well.
2: Yeah, thanks for sitting down. And uh, if you guys are watching this episode to find the secret sauce. Sorry, we just gave you some information. Good information. Still gotta work. Yeah, you gotta okay, work. It's,
3: it's not easy. It's none of it's easy. Whether you're buying and holding or you're flipping, um, none of it's easy. It can be fun, but it's not easy. So,
2: take us home, man.
3: Uh, we need. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Links.
4: They can get Website. In touch. Yeah, I mean, they can get in touch with me on Facebook, email um, address, anything you know, like. There's yeah, I mean, Instagram. They can you know reach out to my email, which is CameronSellsPGH at gmail.com. Um, you know, so that's usually the best way to reach me. Or you know, like I said, Facebook's always easy too. I mean, you know, of course, sometimes it can take a little while to get back to people. You know, just because of the volume of messages and stuff like that. You know, but we certainly try to get back to everybody as soon as possible.
0: All right, man. Thank you very awesome. much.
3: Awesome. All, right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, man.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to Between Two Bridges, a business-to-business podcast. Find and follow us on your preferred podcast streaming platform. Like and subscribe, and leave us a rating and reveal. You can join us socially on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Yes, we still call it Twitter. You can email the show at info at com. Until next time, make it till you rake it.